<laughs> the reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. <laughs> right under that bus. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you among all the animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. Great. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it for the rest of your days. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face, you will eat your bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You were dust, and to dust you shall return. A man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for the woman and clothed him. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and burning to guard the way to the tree of life. Good story. I'm guessing that probably a fair number of you learned one way or another about the doctrine of original sin as you were growing up. The story which I just shared with you is, as I said, from the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Hebrew scriptures. This is, in fact, a story that has been interpreted, certainly in recent centuries, as the explanation of our sinful Humanity. In fact, the uh, the title of the chapter in the in the Bible from which I selected it is the first sin and its punishment. Of course, there are no titles in the Hebrew Scriptures. There's no punctuation either, but that's another story. <laughs> so these titles tell us a lot about how these things have been interpreted. So our sinful humanity, or as John Calvin put it, are the fact that we are utterly depraved. I'm sorry, but I think that's funny. <laughs> For many of us, the religious spaces in which we were raised taught us essentially to hate our own nature. We're bad, fundamentally bad. We're broken. We're fundamentally broken. And without this seemingly capricious God, our brokenness, in fact, condemns us to eternal punishment. This is the story that, according to Christian theologians after the fourth century, explains how it is we screwed it up, how it is that we inherited this condition of brokenness. Now, you may have noticed, as I was reading this story, that there's actually no mention of sin. And there's not actually no mention of being punished for this sin. I wanted to start this morning, because we're going to get to the concept of original blessing, but I wanted to start this morning with this story, because this story explains the doctrine that has held sway, the doctrine of original sin. And I believe that this 
one interpretation of this story is responsible for a tremendous, almost incalculable amount of suffering and oppression. Particularly oppression of women, but oppression of all different kinds. The Dalai Lama has said that if we want to have a good relationship with a new religion, we have to develop a good relationship with the religion we're leading. So I'm going to take that to mean that making peace and understanding these stories that shape us is probably a good idea before we move on. Many of us come to Unitarian Universalism to heal from these wounds, to find a place where we can speak of one another and to one another about a different way of understanding our human nature. One that acknowledges that there is evil, that there is pain, but at the same time doesn't condemn us to living from that place all the time. I will also say, and this is from my personal perspective, that as I've watched over the last, particularly the last three decades, our leadership is increasingly influenced by a religious perspective that emphasizes fear, blind obedience, and yes, utter depravity. Unless, of course, you fall into lockstep with these ideologies, in which case you have the opportunity to call yourself saved. I would have us be part of the world where all of us are saved by one another all the time. So, back to the story. The man doesn't have a name, but God says to the man, don't eat from the, from the tree of knowledge. The snake knows who to go to. Snake knows that the woman has courage and curiosity, so the snake persuades the woman to give the fruit from the tree of knowledge a try. God knows your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Don't you want to be like God? Yeah, sign me up. They eat the fruit. Their eyes are open. They know shame. They know regret. They feel a sense of self-awareness. They feel a sense of conscience, of who they are, sense of responsibility for their actions. They feel fear. They hide. Did, I, did you do what I told you not to do? She made me do it. It's not my fault. And then the curses come, right? The curses. The curses for the snake, the curses for the woman, and then finally the curse for the man. I want to come back, though, to what happens after the curses. God says, see, the man has become like one of us. Who's God talking to? Any guesses? Angels? Who else? 
This notion of one all-powerful, all-seeing, all is not is not biblical. So let's say God is talking to the other gods, the angels. There are plenty of other gods and goddesses in the Hebrew Bible. So see, the man has become like one of us. The man knows good and evil. And now the man might eat the fruit get to live forever. We can't have that. God sounds kind of petty in this story, I have to say. <laughs> that would be my opinion every time the traffic light changes before I get through it. So. <laughs> That's why, according to this story, humanity gets kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Not for sinning, for knowing, for understanding, for recognizing what is real. I'm going to ask you a question. If you had a choice, if you could choose, where would you choose to be? Would you choose to be in the garden with no self-knowledge, being told what to do and what not to do? No understanding of what it is to make your own choices about your life? I'm not hearing a whole lot of answers. <laughs> so I'm figuring you're thinking about it. I think, I think there are times when we want to be in the garden. Right? We want to be have that feeling of protect, being protected and that feeling that everything is beautiful and everything is okay and nothing is going to disrupt it. Because childbearing is painful. And working constantly to feed our families is difficult. And snakes, well, snakes are a pain. <laughs> but the alternative, to have no knowledge, to not know good and evil, that's terrifying. To me, that's actually what being an addiction is. You know, erasing all of the things that make us genuinely human. Is this a story about original sin, or is it a story about original blessing? Is it a story that tells us that our nature is both human and divine? That we are of the earth and of the dirt and also of that sacred, creative, mysterious force that has many names and perhaps no names. And that it is our nature to wrestle with both and reconcile with both. It is our nature to be able to understand the concept of perfection and eternity, while at the same time knowing that we will die just as we were born. At the end of the day, I'm not sure I trade any of it. I'd rather 
have to be where we are. So moving a bit forward from this story, I think this story is about human curiosity and courage. And ultimately, a lack of a power of a God to stop us from being human. So Matthew Fox is the, he's still alive, but he's the late, mid to late 20th century theologian who made popular the term of original blessing. And Fox was a Dominican priest when he was doing his doctoral work in, in uh, Paris in the 60s and 70s. And one of his teachers, one of his professors, had started writing about and, 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 and uh, studying this notion of original blessing and recognizing that it is far more ancient than this notion of original sin, which came to us in the fourth century with, uh, with the writings of Augustine, who had his own mental health issues to deal with. <laughs> That's for another day, or if you buy me a cup of coffee, I'll tell you everything you want to know. <laughs> So Matthew Fox started thinking about the about how the world would look if we understood not that we're perfect or that we're incapable of evil, but if we understood that we come from blessing, that we are a blessing, that we are part of a world that is in its entirety a blessing. That the life we have to live, that every moment we have, is a moment filled with blessing. That blind obedience and fear and eternal damnation will cause us to behave fearfully and woundedly that a perspective of blessing changes everything. And Matthew Fox started finding that all of all the great world religions, none of them talk about original sin. Except this, they talk about suffering, they talk about justice, they talk about other things, but original sin is peculiarly unique to some of our Christian traditions. And he started writing about original blessing, and he started writing about the feminine faces of God. Why did Eve eat the apple, or whatever it was? Probably wasn't an apple. Probably was like a papaya or something. <laughs> so he started writing about the feminine faces of God, and he started writing about the wisdom of Starhawk the witch who is, who is a, a friend of his, and the wisdom of the Buddhist teachers and the Hindu teachers, and Pope Benedict, the former Cardinal Ratzinger, had him expelled from the Dominican order because his writings were too controversial. So he became a, an Episcopal priest. I think he just didn't realize he was Unitarian. Because <laughs> actually, in his, in his thinking and his writing, he really, he really is. He was expelled from his order for exploring, for exploring this. That's why I wanted to start the month of June with original blessing. Again, not that he ignored original sin, but that he focused
focus on the blessing. In the mid-2000s, Fox traveled to Germany to the same church where Martin Luther had nailed his theses back, you know, 500 years earlier. And there were so many tourists there, and the doors aren't wood anymore because the tourists need to, you know, have stuff to see and stuff engraved. That they, he couldn't nail his own theses up, but he did manage. I don't know what he did. I was super glue or something. I don't know what he did, but I won't read you. Clearly, I won't read you his 95, but I want to read you one because I think it's really relevant to us. Our connection with the earth, first time is holy. And our sexuality, second chakra, is holy. And our moral outrage, third chakra, is holy. And our love that stands up to fear, fourth chakra, is holy. And our prophetic voice that speaks out, fifth chakra, is holy. And our intuition and intelligence, sixth chakra, are holy. And our gifts we extend to the community of light beings and ancestors. Seventh chakra, our holy. I don't believe that the main teaching of the book of Genesis is about us being sinful and depraved, but I will tell you it's taken me a long time to recondition my own sense of liberation from this teaching. But when I did, when I started to realize something changed for me, something changed enough that it enabled me to move forward with ministry, because I knew that the world was different and I knew that our world that our work together is different from what I always thought ministry was. You and I are not going to move forward to bless this world, bless ourselves, and bless one another until we liberate ourselves and all of our human siblings from this notion of patriarchal, blind obedience and fear. We're not going to learn how to live from truth and joy and kindness, like Stephanie's cat, if we remain in a, stuck in a doctrine of brokenness. And if we believe in the inevitability of human suffering, which is another dimension to this story, right? We're evil, so we deserve to suffer. If we allow ourselves to continue to believe that we're going to accept that misery and suffering for most of humanity is okay, it's somehow acceptable because humanity is bad. We might even allow ourselves to buy into the delusion that if we are comfortable, we must be saved. It's called the prosperity gospel. Doctrine of original sin is death affirming. Doctrine of original blessing is life affirming. I'm going to ask you, how will you bless yourselves today? How will you bless one another today?
and how will you bless the world?